Good morning. My name is Matt, one of the pastors here, and it's just always good to gather to worship. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and grab them, open up to Ephesians chapter 6. That's where we're going to be today. Um, but one thing that, that's true for, from their experience, but for our experience as well, is that we are living in a progressively fatherless world, a fatherless uh, society. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, a study done, this was some 10 years ago, it said it estimated 24.7 million children in the U.S., just 33% live absent of their biological father. There's uh, another organization called the National Center for Fathering, and, and they've done this documentary called Irreplaceable. And here's some statistics in the U.S. from, from them. It says 71% of high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. 71% of teenage pregnancies. 85% of children with behavioral disorders, 90% of homeless and runaway children, 64% of youth suicide, 85% of youth in prison. These are all statistics around those who grew up in fatherless homes. And in, in short, fatherlessness is associated with most of every sociological problem we face, not only here in the States, but across the globe. So let's take these statistics and, and personalize them real quick. What about your father? When you think about your dad, what comes into your mind? What comes into your heart? Did you know him? What do you remember about him? What is your relationship with him like? What are things you remember him saying to you, good or bad? For many of us, I would argue that it's difficult to envision a God who is a loving, heavenly Father because our earthly Father was not an example to us. Most dads in our world are physically or emotionally absent. And we as people have this ability to project our experience with our earthly father upon God, our heavenly father. And in doing so, we draw vast false conclusions about who God is and what he thinks about us and how he wants to be involved in our lives. And if you have your notes, the main point for today is simply this is that we must allow God to father us if we are going to parent in a way that reveals His heart. If you've been with us, we've been teaching through uh, the, the New Testament letter of Paul to the church in Ephesus. And we've seen uh, this theme throughout all of Ephesus. Really, it starts strong by saying, Okay, this is who you are in Christ. You've been given a new identity because of what Christ has done for you. You are adopted children in the family of God. You are saints. And, and Paul just goes on and on about these crazy spiritual realities of everyone who is in Christ and what is true of you because of that. And then in chapter 4, he shifts gears and he says, Okay, in light of everything I've just told you that's true of you, here's how you should live. Here's how you should respond. This is what your life should look like because these things are true. And as we've got to the end of chapter 5 and as we're cracking into chapter 6, we, we've, Paul's turned his attention to the family unit. So we've spent the last several weeks looking at uh, marriage. 
looking at the role of husbands, the role of wives. We looked last week at instructions to children. And today we're going to look at God's instruction to fathers. And just a, a quick word, while these verses are specifically directed to fathers, I, I just don't want to lose anyone's attention here because there are truths in this passage that apply to all of us. There are things that every person in this room will take away from our time today. So I just want to encourage you to tune in to hear about your Heavenly Father's heart and how that impacts the way we should go about parenting. So Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. We're going to get through one verse today. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Now again, I probably elicited some thoughts and emotion within you as you reflected on your father, some good, some bad. And I just want to spend some time camping on this word father and looking at what Scripture says is true about God the Father so that we would correct any false notions we would have about what a father should be based upon our personal experience. So the header of your, your notes there is being fathered by God. And I want to start with, with this argument is that to be a godly father or to be a godly parent, you must first know your heavenly father's heart. You need to know your Heavenly Father's heart. And the primary way we understand this again is through God's Word. We go to the source of how God has revealed Himself to us, and we see what He has to say about Himself. So we're going we're gonna to look at Matthew chapter 3, but before doing that, we're, just big picture-wise, we're gonna, what we're doing is we're looking at God's heart in, in relationship to His Son. And many of you are familiar with John 3.16 that says, For God so loved the world that He sent His only Son, that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. And so God's purpose in sending His Son was because of His love. He sent His Son to save a people who were under bondage and sin and death. And here in Matthew chapter 3, we see Jesus beginning His public ministry. And the first thing Jesus does is he goes down to the Jordan River and he gets baptized by John the Baptist. And in verse 16, this is what it says. It says, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Alright, so Jesus is approximately 30 years old this time. He's, he's a full-grown man by all cultural definitions, right? He's 30 years old, and I think we learn something from this interaction at the onset of his ministry that, that reveals something that all of us need from our Father regardless of our age. And the question I want to ask from this passage is, what do children need most from their fathers? We see it in what God says to His Son. First, it's pretty cool. God opens the heavens for His Son. Anyone notice that? He's a glimpse into heaven real quick, Son. Just want to remind you where you're from. But He affirms His love. 
first thing he says, this is my beloved son. God affirms his love for his son. And then not only does he affirm his love, he expresses his delight. He says, in whom, with whom, I am well pleased. Now, you know, at this point in time, Jesus has like done none of his public ministry yet. Okay, he. He hasn't gone and preached. He hasn't told people about God the Father. He hasn't performed miracles. He's done nothing. But as he steps on the scene, at the beginning, at the onset of his public ministry, the Father speaks from heaven and says, This is my boy. I love him. I enjoy him. I'm for him. I'm proud of him. Why? He's my son. That's it. The Father's heart is one of love and delight in His children. I wonder for you today if if you're having a hard time believing that. Do you have a hard time believing and receiving the fact that God the Father loves you? And not only does He love you, but He delights in you. That's maybe the harder one. Okay, yeah, sure, God loves me in some general sense, but to delight in me? I don't know about that. God the Father affirming His Son, I love you, I'm well pleased with you. And maybe you're here this morning and you just feel like too much of a screw-up to be loved by God, or maybe you just think God tolerates you, but there's no way that God could delight in you. But I want to share a portion uh, of a parable out of Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son you may be familiar with. But I want to hone in on the father's heart in this parable. And so if you're familiar with this parable, Jesus is telling the story about a young man. He's still living in his father's land under his rule. He's working the family business, if you will. And the young man comes to his dad and he says, hey, dad, it's time. I want my inheritance. And the dad, for some crazy reason, gives it to him. And this young man goes away and he squanders his entire inheritance on living the high life. He just goes and parties it up and thinks he sucks all the life out of the world that he can. But then something happens. A famine hits the land. He's at the end of his inheritance. He has no more money. A famine strikes and it says that he's forced to go work for a pig farmer. And he's so desperate, he's getting paid so little that he finds himself eating pig food. Is that the bottom of the barrel? Eating muck amongst the pigs. And then in verse 17, he comes to his senses, and this is what he says. But when he came to himself, he said... How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. 
and bring a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. I love that. I love that. See, the son knew how bad he had messed up. He knew he'd squandered a percentage of his family's wealth. And you can picture him kind of walking home. He's like, I, I think my dad's going to take me back. But, but he wasn't like all confident walking home, right? He's probably holding his head low, filled with guilt, filled with shame. He's like, oh, I just can't believe I'm going to have to tell my dad all this. Oh, this is horrible. And you can picture the father seeing his son walking and knowing that's my boy. And the father runs. Landowners in this day don't run. And the father runs to the son. That's our Father's heart. That's what our God desires of His creation. That's a picture of a father delighting in his son, not based upon his son's performance. Do you believe this is how God sees you? And do you believe this is how God wants to receive you? Do you believe that? The Bible says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Meaning that we've all messed up. We all need forgiveness. We are all not worthy of our Father's love. And yet, the Bible also declares that God loves us in spite of that. In fact, not only does He just love us, He took action in our desperation. When we were dead in our sins, He sent His Son as a sacrifice. To take away the barrier that existed between us and God. So that whoever would believe in Christ's performance in their place would receive eternal life. Romans 5, 8-11 puts it this way. But God shows His love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by His blood, not by our performance. Much more shall we be saved from him, from, for, by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled will we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. The word reconciliation is a relational word. It's bringing back together a relationship that's been broken and we who were once enemies of God have now been restored through the death of His own Son. Have you run home to your Heavenly Father? Have you accepted the invitation of God through Jesus Christ? God the Father wants you to come home if you haven't. And if you've come home, he wants you to stay home. Stay there. In his book, Fathered by God, John Eldred says this, Forgiveness was made available to each of us so that we might come home to the Father. Forgiveness was not the goal. Coming home to the Father is the goal. Forgiveness is the means to the end of being reunited with God. 
So my question for all of you this morning is, do your sins and failures make you run to God or make you run from God? When you mess up, how do you respond? How do you view God in those moments where you're so aware that you're messed up? I've heard this idea multiple times the last few weeks, but, but it's something along these lines. that a, a, re, a religious view of God says this, I messed up, my dad's going to kill me. A relational view of God says this, I messed up, I need to call my dad. What's your view of God? Is he going to kill you? Or does he want you to call him? God is a good Father who loves you, who delights in you, and who wants you to come home and to stay home with Him. That is the heart of our God. And I want to argue this so strongly because this is the starting point of good parenting. You yourself cannot be a good parent if you have not allowed yourself to be fathered by God. If this is not the view of God that you have and the view of God you want to give to your parents or to your children, sorry, maybe your parents too. At the close of the Old Testament, the prophet Malachi, he said these words as a prediction of what Jesus would do in the hearts of men. He says as he will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. The only way for you and I to have God's heart for our kids is if God Himself has transformed our hearts. That's it. And that's what God promised to do, is to to take our hearts of stone and to make them soft, hearts of flesh that respond to Him. Here's the thing, parents, is you can't give away what you don't have. You ever think about that? You can't give to your children something you do not possess yourself. And here's the other thing is you can't fool your kids. Kids are a whole lot smarter than we think they are. Kids are discerning. They know what you love. They know what you care about. All they need to do is look at the way you spend your time, the way you spend your money, the listen to the things you talk about, and your kids are going to conclude, and, and pretty accurately, the things you love and prioritize in your life. Want to have a convicting question? Go ask your kids after church. What does mommy and daddy love? Maybe you don't want to ask that question. But it's going to reveal something. And God wants to continue to mold us and transform us so that we would greater reflect our God to our children. Maybe the biggest takeaway for you today and the greatest impact you could have on your kids is, is by one, starting to pursue a relationship with God if you don't have one. Two, maybe it's reprioritizing and recentralizing your relationship with God. You do those things, and you're going to be on the right path. You're going to be going in the right direction. You're going to imprint your kids with that which is most important. And the reality for all of us is, is that we need to be fathered by God on a daily basis. No matter how old we are, we are all sons and daughters of God. 
you might be a parent, but you are still a child. And you need God's instruction in your life if you're going to parent your children in His ways. All right, next. Parenting children with God. Your next big bullet point there. So here's the thing about our God. He has not left us alone in parenting children. He's not said, hey, good luck. He's given us His Word. He's given us His Spirit. And He's given us His church. This is a powerhouse of support, friends. God's Word, God's Spirit, and the church. All as, as people and structures to help us raise our children in the way God would want us to raise our kids. Let me read our verse today again. Ephesians 6, 4. It says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So we're told two things. How many of you dads like it simple? Come on. Bullet points. Don't write me paragraphs. Write me bullet points. That's me. Boom, boom. Easy. I got that. I can remember that. But man, is that so hard to live out. These two things are the biggest challenges that men face. In particularly, fathers face. Let's look at the two of them. First one, don't provoke your children to anger. Or in other words, don't intentionally make your kids mad. Why do we need to know this? Dads, you ever wrestle with this? This hits you somehow? Like, oh, I don't ever make my kids mad. I don't know how to push their hot buttons. I don't know how to stir them up. Yes, you do. And you didn't need anyone to teach you how to do that. You just knew how to do that. Isn't that fascinating? That we as dads know how to just mess with our kids. How sinful are we? Like, I can just, just make my kids respond emotionally whenever I want. It's sick. I find it fascinating, though, that in the entire New Testament, there are only two commands, dads. Back to our bullet point need. There are only two commands to fathers explicitly. This one and the one in Colossians chapter 3, verse 21 that says this. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Those are the only two verses that are explicitly to dads. Now, the rest of Scripture principles, it all applies, okay? This is all you need to know. These two verses, you're done. No, but these are two specific things that I would argue have a pretty high level of importance if those are the only two things that we have instruction on. Fathers, don't make your kids mad. Fathers, raise your kids in the ways of the Lord. I can remember that. It's going to take me a lifetime to figure out how to do it. You know, I don't know about you, but sometimes I forget that my kids are kids. I have four children from the age eight down to one. And uh, it's amazing to me how often I forget that they are just children. And I start to act or treat them or expect things of them that I don't even like expect of other adults. Right? And I, I set my kids up for discouragement. And to feel like absolute failures because I have this bar that I think, oh, well, you're my kids, you're doing this. And it cripples our kids. It it promotes them to discouragement. 
Like when your three-year-old spills a drink on the table for the fifth night in a row. And your response is, come on! Again? I told you four nights in a row, don't knock your cup over. Why is that so difficult? And then you look in the mirror and you say, why didn't I put a lid on the stupid cup? Right? Parents, our kids are kids. And there are often times that our kids do things that are childish and not sinful. Use that as a grid in your parenting. Is this childish? Is this just because they're kids? Or is this sin? There's a big difference. We should not reprimand our kids for being kids. We should not scold them for being childish. They're children. Let them be children. You know, I don't know about you, but I never knew how sinful I was until I had kids. Anyone else say amen to that? At least two of you. Good. I don't know how it is that these small creatures have the ability to make me angry in ways that I'm just flabbergasted. Like, how did you just do that? How did you make me lose it? This is crazy. I think for us, it reveals our need as parents to remember the grace and kindness and patience and forgiveness of God towards us on a daily basis that He wants us to extend to our children. Parents, have you ever asked your child to forgive you when you've sinned against them? If you're nodding your head, yes, well done. Well done. We, we need to humble ourselves before our kids when we screw up. Because our kids need to know mommy and daddy have just as big a need of forgiveness as you do. Jesus is mommy and daddy's only hope, just like it's your only hope, child. Ephesians 4, a couple chapters back, Paul instructed us in this way. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior, which is provoking your kids. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Moms and dads, don't make your kids mad. Don't poke your kids' hot buttons just for no reason. You can actually make your children more angry and violent people. That's the influence we as parents can have on our kids. And that's terrifying. (laughs) But instead, be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving. And this is where we need to ask for God's help. Praise God He's given us His Word. Praise God He's given us His Spirit. Praise God He's patient with each of us. But we need to daily come before God to be fathered by Him so that we can father our children well. And the first step to fathering well is not intentionally making your kids mad. So it's easy. Don't do this, but instead do this. Do intentionally train your kids in the ways 
of the Lord. The last half of Ephesians 6.4 says, But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And, and many dads hear that and say, well, I don't know how to do that. I don't know what that means. And I'm not going to give you like, here's a four-step process of doing that, but I just want to give you some principles from God's Word that I believe are the big ones that you need to get these right, and then everything else flows from that. So back in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy, Jesus quotes from this passage as the greatest of all commandments. Deuteronomy 6, 4-7 through says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk with them while you sit in your house and as you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. There is a connection in this passage and throughout all of Scripture that a genuine loving of God is going to be manifested in us making the Word of God known to our children. And not just in a way that's informational. All right, let's just memorize some Scripture today. In a way that's transformational. These words are life, kids. These words are the way to know God. They're to be delighted and rejoiced and followed and cherished. Fathers, your kids need your instruction. And the message they're getting from school, television, and video games is the opposite of the Word of God. The mass majority of all messaging and marketing in our society is training our kids to be self-centered, self-indulging human beings whose world is all about them. And we need to remind them that life is not about them, it's about Him. And it's about loving Him and knowing Him. God's design for fathers is for us to be a source of strength, a source of stability, a sounding board of decision-making, and a coach unto our children's maturity. But most of all, I would argue, our kids need spiritual fathering. And they need it now more than ever. They don't just need information, dads. They need transformation. And they need to see how Jesus Christ has transformed your life. That will change your kids. Tim Keller, I heard recently say this. He said, you can know the Bible and not know God, but you can't know God without knowing the Bible. Anyone heard that before? I don't even know if that was an original quote from him or not, but that's who I heard it from. You can know the Bible and not know God. One of my grandfathers was an example of this to me. My memory of my grandpa is one uh, of a man who knew this book, but I would argue he did not know the fatherly heart of God. I remember my grandfather being abusive. I remember my grandfather being um, angry often. And I've seen the ripple effect of my grandfather's approach to parenting that has devastated my mom and her sisters. It's been a horrible impact on 
our family. He was harsh. And I saw that as a child, and that was my understanding of a man who knew the Word of God. You better believe that shaped and formed something of what I thought about this book. But it wasn't true. He was going by the letter of the law and not by the love of God. And it's destructive when we do this. And, and parents, let me just say this. Our kids need us to correct them. Okay? Our parents, or our children, our children need our discipline. We, we need to address our children's sin head on. We don't excuse their sin, but we need to remember that it is always for their good. It is always to keep them on the path of life, and it is always to point them for their need to their need for Jesus Christ. I think one place in our culture that's just, it's, it's permeated everything is this complete disregard for authority. And it's everywhere. It's in the church. Our culture is filled with plenty of bad examples of authority figures who misuse and abuse the authority that God has given to them. That's, that's reality. However, that is not God's design. That is not God's plan. He, he put authority in place for order and for good. We're the ones that mess it up. And we as fathers have an opportunity to show our children what a good role model of authority looks like. For us, yes, to instruct them and to train them, but to teach them, hey, this whole world, you're under authority. You can't get away from it. You may not like it all the time, but it's a reality that you need to learn and come under. And as we ourselves, as parents, seek to come under the authority of God, under the authority of His Word, but through cherishing it and through loving it, that is what we want to pass on and impart to our children, because God wants our hearts. And He wants us to fight for our children's hearts and to help cultivate in them a deep love and reverence for God. Most men, and many men even in this room, don't father because they've never been fathered. They just do whatever was modeled unto them or they just don't know what to do. And I just want to share with all of us as dads is that we all fall short. We all fail. And I know we all don't have to have anybody remind us of that. We know, don't we dads? We know of our imperfections. We know of our failures. You don't need to remind us. But dads, we need one another. We need to not take our failures and and make them uh, cause us to be shameful and to hide. But we need to come together and learn from one another. We need to encourage one another. We need to read good books together and process life together. We need to rely on the Holy Spirit together to instruct us and train us with our children. Because our kids need to know our love. Our kids need to know our delight. Our kids need our instruction and they need our discipline. Because, fathers, here's the scary reality is that your influence will impact your kids for the rest of their life. Whether you like it or not, 
you will be the biggest influence in their life. And the question for you is, what kind of legacy are you going to leave? When your kids are asked, tell me about your father, what are they going to say?